I decided to type into a Google search uh, key events that happened in 2021, just to kind of find out what things would pop up. And man, there's a lot of things that were there. And so just to name a few, I read that the final episode of Jeopardy was hosted by Alex Trebek, like that was aired in 2021. Broadcasters Larry King and Rush Limbaugh both passed away in this year. The total number of global cases of COVID-19 surpassed 100 million. I read about how Tom Brady won his seventh Super Bowl, and all of that didn't even touch the multiple things that were political as far as things that have happened this year. So that kind of got me interested. What happened like 100 years ago in 1921? Some of you guys are like, I remember that like it was yesterday. But as I was reading, uh, I came across um, that the United States Congress approved the burial of an unidentified soldier from World War I at the Arlington National Cemetery. The inscription on the tomb reads, here rests in honored glory an American soldier known but to God. So that was 100 years ago. I also read about the Shepherd Towner Maternity and Infancy Act becomes a law, which I'm like, okay. But really that uh, essentially started the social security system in the United States. In 1921, Babe Ruth surpassed Roger Connor as the career home run record leader when he hit his 139th home run. And so he would go on to hit 714 in his career. And that year, FDR contracts polio, 1921. So then I'm like, okay, let's go back 100 years earlier than that, in 1821. And so I saw that the state of Missouri became the 24th state in the United States. So 200 years ago, there were 24 states. I also read that the College of Apothecaries was organized when 68 pharmacists met to establish scientific standards and to train apprentices. And later that year, the first College of Pharmacy was incorporated. I learned how James Boyd patented the rubber fire hose. I learned how Peru declared independence from Spain. I know you already knew that one from two years, 200 years ago. And then I also read that the first edition of the magazine, the Saturday Evening Post, was printed in 1821. So just for fun, let's go to 1721. There's a lot less events recorded than like in 2021 on what happened. But in that, I saw that the deadliest outbreak of smallpox in the history of Boston began when a British ship arrived. And over a 10-month period, 5,759 cases were recorded and 844 people died. I read how Tsar Peter the Great ended the Russian Orthodox Patriarchy, which started the process of westernization of the clergy and secular control of the church. I read how France and Spain signed the Treaty of Madrid. Not really knowing a whole lot of those things, I typed in, hey, famous people who were born in 1721. I didn't recognize any of their names, like no one, which may say more about me than the list. But then also I thought about that in 1721, the United States was not even a nation. So then I jumped back to 1621, okay? And I read that this man named Gregory XV was elected as the 234th Pope. Like, man, that's a lot of popes. I hadn't actually ever thought about that in 1621. I read how English Parliament unanimously accepts protestation, the right to freedom of speech, back in 1621. And one that I had heard before, colonists and Native Americans shared an autumn harvest feast that is acknowledged today as one of the first Thanksgiving celebrations in the colonies. 
Now you may kind of wonder, why did I do that? Do I just have all this extra time on my hands that I want to fill with, you know, random trivia type stuff? And I thought about actually doing some trivia here, letting you kind of decide which things happen on what years and such. But more than understanding each of the specifics that I mentioned, I wanted you to feel how much time has passed since 1621. And you might kind of go, why? Because that is the amount of time that occurred between the last Old Testament book of Malachi, or Malachi, as Rick mentioned last week, and this first book of the New Testament of Matthew. 400 years. We call it the intertestament time. And sometimes it's referred to as the silent years because there were no prophets or leaders who ended up being recorded in our scriptures during this time. And I think it's important for us to understand the length here because sometimes we turn the page in our Bible and God is showing up to do huge and marvelous things yet again. But then there are moments that we take a step back and we can see the real amount of time between specific events. I mean, 400 years. There's also 400 years of slavery in the Old Testament. There's 70 years of exile that we've just come out of in the story. There's 40 years of wandering much earlier. And I think understanding that helps us when we're in those moments when we just ask, God, like, where are you? Like, why are you not showing up the way that I see you in Scripture? Because you see, God showed up and he continues to show up how he wants in each and every moment. Now, you need to understand those 400 years, this time period, doesn't mean that everything was smooth for the Jews. And so I want to read a section out of the story for those of you who maybe didn't have a chance to read it this week. And I would encourage you, if you started out strong back at week one and two, and now we're like to 22 and it's like, ah, I haven't picked it up in a while. Could I encourage you to pick it back up? Let God's word be that which infiltrates your mind and your heart. But there was kind of a section setting up the New Testament. And so here's some of the words from the story. It said, the Maccabean revolt against the Seleucids during the second century BC was one of the most heroic eras of Jewish history. You see, during these 400 years, numerous significant writings were produced as well. And the Qumran community copied the books of Isaiah, the Psalms, Deuteronomy, and other sacred writings. These ancient manuscripts were delivered by a shepherd boy in 1947 near the Dead Sea and are known today as the Dead Sea Scrolls. It says, the deuterocanonical books, or books of the Apocrypha, accepted as holy scriptures by the Roman and Eastern churches, were written in the years between the Old and New Testament. It said, the Septuagint, or the Greek translation of the Old Testament, was also an important product of the period. It became the Bible for Greek-speaking Jews outside of Palestine, and later for the early church. It said, but God's story wasn't finished. When the time, or when the set time had fully come, as the Apostle Paul put it, God spoke again, and this time in the person of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, whose birth, life, death, and resurrection changed everything, end quote. You see, while all of these events were occurring during this long 400-year period, people had been waiting for the Messiah in fact, they'd been waiting and longing for him way before that time. They wanted a savior. They wanted to be free from other nations more than almost anything else. And prophets, they spoke of this Messiah who was to come. 
And if you were to only focus on his birth, there's a lot of things that are foretold about him. There's actually quite a few that speak to his lineage of who, you know, what line he would come from. For instance, in Genesis chapter 22, verse 18, it says, through Abraham's offsprings, all nations on earth will be blessed. In Numbers chapter 24, it says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. In Isaiah chapter 11, it says, A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. In Jeremiah 23, it says, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. This is the name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteous Savior. And in 2 Samuel chapter 7, like God is speaking to David. He says, when your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, who will come from your own body, and I will establish his kingdom. And he is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. See, every single one of these verses is pointing towards Jesus coming to earth. But then again, there are other specific prophecies that probably you've heard about the birth itself or the early years, such as Micah 5, 2. It says, but you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over all Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Or maybe you've heard Isaiah 7:14 that says, "Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign: the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel." Jeremiah 31 says this, "A voice is heard in Rama, uh, mourning and great weeping, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more." Now Matthew connects that section of scripture with Herod after he kills all the kids in Bethlehem. And in Hosea 11, it says, When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. You see, there was a time that Joseph and Mary and Jesus spent time in Egypt until Herod had passed away. And as you look at the entire Old Testament, it is pointing to the coming of Jesus. In fact, there's a lesson that I teach that summarizes the entire Bible in 10 words. And to describe the Old Testament, it's three words, Jesus is coming. And then we get to the Gospels, where we see Jesus living here, and the words are, Jesus is here. And then the whole rest of the Bible is, Jesus is coming again. Like, it all points to him. And so after so many years of waiting, God has now become flesh. And so we can cue the angel and Mary and Joseph and a donkey that is never mentioned in Scripture but appears like in every single Christmas play. The shepherds, the wise men, Herod, and hundred of pentatonic songs that are played on repeat. Cue all of that for this Christmas message because Jesus is here. He is with us. He became man to help us understand who God is. And then he lived perfectly so that he might take our sin and our punishment through his death. Jesus really does change everything. And yet, and yet we see that there's a lot of people who missed him because they had the wrong expectation of what the Messiah would be. God sent what was needed, not what we thought we needed. He sent us a Savior and so we have been reading all of this, all of these events have happened, and we're now to the point 
that Jesus is finally here. So now at this point in the sermon, I need to somehow shift holidays because like we've been talking Christmas and all those kind of things, but it's also Father's Day. And so we need to look at God's word and find some encouragement and challenges for all you dads out there since you're living such a high calling. And so to do that, uh, we're going to need to do two things to shift from Christmas to Father's Day. The first is if you have your Bibles or a Bible app, you can turn to Matthew chapter one, because that's where we're going to be. The second deals with me. I need to switch from a Christmas tie to a Father's Day tie. So let's see what I got here. There we go. Put it on the right way. All right. So we're going to see who gets there first. Matthew 1 or tie on first? Don't know. Maybe you beat me. So Matthew chapter 1. We're still in the Christmas story, so to speak. But there are some things that we're going to look at to find out what is it that God wants to speak to us today. And we're going to look at the life of Joseph, the husband of Mary, the father of Jesus. And so there are three traits that Joseph displays in this Christmas story that all of us should strive to be. So the first is this, righteous. Joseph was righteous. Matthew actually uses that word. In Matthew chapter 1, if you've turned there, verse 18 is where we're going to look at. It says, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. You see, Joseph was caught in this dilemma. Here he is. He loved Mary, and he had worked hard to set up a good life for them. But now she's pregnant. And Joseph didn't want to drag Mary out in public in this setting that could possibly lead to her death because he was righteous. That word can also be translated just or upright. And when I hear the word righteous, my mind immediately goes to that of character or integrity. And God, God calls every single one of us to be people of integrity. And there have been moments in my life that have almost come and overwhelmed me and challenged me that, you know what, in this moment, I need to step up my area of integrity. I remember back when I was starting my junior year of college, like right before that, um, in our dorm that I stayed at college, um, I was selected to be the head RA of our dorm. And so I remember I'd come off being an RA, which you're, you know, in charge of different responsibilities on the floor and such. But at a Christian college, there's also some spiritual responsibilities. And I remember going, okay, I know that doesn't mean I need to be the most spiritual person in the dorm, but I am leading men. And so thinking through that responsibility, I realized I need to step up in this area of integrity if I'm going to lead well. So then about a year later, uh, I'm now going into my senior year of college and uh, I get my first job as a youth minister. And so I remember, you know, going through the interview process and all those kind of things, going before the congregation, they introduced me. And I just remember that first week looking out at all these faces that are completely new and lots of students that are going to be underneath my care. And I just started thinking about this idea of, I need to step up my area of integrity if I'm going to lead them well. I remember right after college, uh, I got to stand on a stage and marry my bride. And I remember looking at her and just thinking, God is calling me to lead her. And she's already a pretty spiritual person. So I need to step up my area of integrity if I'm going to lead well. And then five years later, holding our first child, you know, standing there in the, in the hospital room and like holding her here. I'm thinking to myself, 
don't drop her, don't drop her. <laughs> but after that leaves my mind, I think about this idea of if I want to leave her, lead her well, then I need to step up in this area of integrity, doing the right thing. You know what? In any kind of area that God has allowed any of us to lead, we need to be righteous. So fathers, let me ask you this. Can your life be defined as righteous? And I get that our society doesn't use that word a whole lot, like unless you're a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle, but that's like a completely different meaning. But this idea of righteous, like are you living a life of integrity? Do you choose to do what is right even if no one is looking? This year at high school camp at CIY Move, uh, there was an incident where a window was broken in a dorm room. And so I had heard stories from people, but I still wanted to know exactly what happened. And so I went into this young man's room and I told him that whatever that he told me, I would believe. But I told him, I really want you to tell me the truth. And so I asked him, did you break the window? And he took a small breath and he simply said, yes, I did. And I was so proud of him in that moment because he did what was right, even though that was a hard thing to do. And I told him I'm not mad and that I'm going to work out all the details with the college and CIY. And I talked to two different people as far as getting things handled that they needed to know. And both of them were like, oh, we're so sorry you have to deal with this situation. And I said, to be honest, it's okay because he told me the truth. That's way more important than any broken window. And so even though I was dealing with that broken window, I got to interact with this man of integrity in the moment. Now next year, we'll try for integrity without the broken window, and that'd be fantastic. Fathers, let me ask you this. Do you live out the importance of telling the truth to those who follow after you? Whether that's your spouse or your kids or your employees. Let me ask you, are you the same person behind closed doors or you are as you are in a crowd? And I'm not up here trying to beat up anyone. Like, God knows that none of us will be perfect. But how is your effort? And are you consistent to those who see you? You see, if you are, you will leave a lasting legacy on those you lead. So choose to be a man who is righteous. And for all of you in the crowd that are not fathers, God still calls you to be a person of character a person of integrity, and a person of right, uh, righteousness as well. So the second trait that describes Joseph is responsible, responsible, that Joseph is responsible. Now, we already know what Joseph was thinking, you know, seeing Mary and what he wanted to do, but God had other ideas. So in Matthew chapter 1, maybe you're still there, starting at verse 20, it says this, But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And then right after he hears those words, we see this in verses 24 and 25. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. You see, we, we watch Joseph. After he hears this message from the angel, from God, his first response was to fulfill his vow to his wife, to be responsible in that area. And then we see the responsibility that he takes in still going and registering in Bethlehem while continuing to watch over her on the journey. 
Even later, when Herod is about to kill all the babies two years old and under, Joseph is warned in a dream, get up, get out of here. And the text tells us that he gets up in the middle of the night and their family leaves. Joseph was faithful to his responsibilities. So fathers, can your family look to you as someone who is responsible? Like, do you accomplish the tasks that are needed at home and at work? Also, do you fulfill the responsibility of providing for your family? And as I say that, we often equate that concept with earning money, but providing is so much deeper than that. Do your actions show your family that they matter to you? Does the choice of how you spend your time communicate devotion? When was the last time you told your child that you love them, and not just at bedtime or as you walk out the door? Again, I'm really not trying to shame anyone today, but I want to create this picture of a father who is trying his hardest and doing his best to be responsible. I remember this series of commercials um, that an adoption agency was running about not having to be a perfect parent to be a perfect parent. And there were some of them, two specifically, that made me laugh out loud as I was sitting there watching it. And one is there's a mom and she is vacuuming underneath her couch. And these two boys walk out and they're holding like a hamster cage or whatever. And they're like, mom, we can't find Oscar. And she can't hear anything. So she turns around. And she's like, what? And she's like, they say, we can't find Oscar. And at just that moment, you hear this thunk. And like, then it's like, and then like with the vacuum cleaner and everyone's just standing there like, what's going to happen? And then the tagline, you don't have to be a perfect parent to be a perfect parent. And so then the hamster runs across the screen. So everyone knows there were no hamsters harmed in the making of this commercial. But just thinking about this idea of, you know what? Sometimes we feel like we have to fill all these roles to be this perfect parent. Or there was one that a dad was sitting with her daughter and uh, she's laying on bed on a bed and you can tell that they have just, uh, she's gotten back from a date and it did not go well. But he has no idea what to say. And so he's sitting there with her and he says, you know, it was only one date. He's like, dating is kind of like the stock market. It's like, there are going to be ups and there's going to be downs. And he's still thinking, and there'll be ups. And then he says, so buy low. <laughs> and like, <laughs> that's great financial advice, but terrible relationship advice. You know what? You don't have to be perfect parents to be perfect parents. But I tell you that because even in the hard moments, dad, when you aren't 100% sure how to handle this situation or a conversation, do your best with what God has given to you. Step up to your responsibilities, just like Joseph did. And for those of you guys who aren't a dad out there, you're not allowed to be lazy either. That's not scriptural. Make sure that you are responsible with what God has entrusted to you. And so lastly, Joseph was religious. He was religious. Now at this point, I need to start out by talking about this word religion, because quite a few people like think poorly of this word. And maybe you've even said this phrase, Christianity is a relationship, not a religion. And I totally get kind of the thought process behind that. Um, but religion really isn't all bad. Again, sometimes we think about it as rituals and rules that maybe we don't like. But originally, the Latin word for religion comes from this idea of ligare, which means to join or to link, often understood to link the human and divine. And the word re means back again. So religion by definition meant to join man back to God. And that sounds like something that we all need. 
In fact, I was going to go to Webster's Dictionary to tell you the dictionary definition of religion, but like, there's a lot of big words in the dictionary. And so I'm going to do like what Rick Allspaugh does and say this is the Andy translation. A set of beliefs that one has. Often they are moral or spiritual. That kind of describes all the big words that the dictionary said as far as religion. And I fully believe that even by using that English translation of the word, this idea of religion, once we have a relationship with Jesus, like he changes us. He molds us. He molds our thinkings and our beliefs. Hence, a religion. I think that relationship and religion can actually go beautifully hand in hand. The problem comes when we have our set of beliefs without the relationship. Like that's where legalism comes in. And I'm just checking off a lot of boxes to make myself feel better, but it misses out on the relationship aspect. So Joseph was someone who you could tell was religious. He followed after God and his laws with the goal of connecting to him. And after the birth of Jesus, Luke also tells us some information. In chapter 2 of Luke, verses 21 through 24, it says, On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he had been conceived. And when the time of their purification according to the law of Moses had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. And so you need to see that Joseph is active in leading his family in that which God wants him to do. Not long afterwards, Luke tells us that the couple goes to Jerusalem every year for the feast of the Passover, which is what they were supposed to do. And in fact, it was 12 years later that we read about that moment when Jesus is in his father's house and his parents don't know where he is. You see, Joseph was religious. He took the moments he could to lead his family in connecting with God. And so fathers, you and I, we are called to be the spiritual leaders of our family. But you cannot make anyone else connect to God. Like you cannot just say, do this, and that's what happens. But you can certainly help pave the way for someone. You can remove barriers that might stop people from connecting to God. You can be a great example for them. And there's a lot of joys of being a parent that your kids can bring you. But none of them compare to watching them live a life of loving the Heavenly Father. And I was thinking about this sermon. I noticed that our Heavenly Father displays these three traits perfectly. Like He wants that connection, that legare with us even more than we want it with Him. Like he did what only he can do by sending Jesus to die for our sin, to take that place. And he continues to sustain life every single day for us. Like God is responsible. And as far as this idea of righteous, would God be righteous? You know what? After you and I choose to follow him, God doesn't look at us through all of our sin and all of our stains. Instead, he sees his own righteousness in us. And that is the Father that wants to spend an eternity with you. And so maybe today you want to reconnect with this Father in a way that you never have. And you want to make him your Lord, your Savior. And if that's you, we invite you to one of the decision points here because we would love to help you with that decision. 
And for some, maybe as we were talking about these areas that Joseph displayed, like you're like, there's this area that I really need to step up in. And I would love to have someone pray for me that, God, you would come and help me to step up in this area. If you have a decision, I would encourage you, don't wait. As we're singing, go to one of these decision points because Jesus is now here and that changed everything. Will you guys stand as we sing?